Gracious God, we come to you this morning confessing to you your love never fails, never gives up, never lets us go. Lord, in our heart of hearts, in our strength of strengths, we, we bring to you the very best that we can this morning, the very best praise that we can muster, the biggest thanksgiving that we can give to you. We offer thanks for who you are and all that you have done for us, for our community, for our church. And Father, in those moments when we feel most inadequate, when we feel like we just don't want to move forward, I pray that we will know and understand and even feel with great conviction and experience what it is like to know your love that never fails and never gives up. Thank you for that promise. I pray, Father, as we come through this morning that you speak through your word and we can feel a sense of conviction not only for ourselves but for others who desperately need to know your love. Thank you, God, for your goodness, for who you are and all that you do. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. It's great to see you. Good to be here with you. I want to tell you about a church that I know. This church has made for itself a good name in its community. This particular church has created for itself a sense of character in its location. Uh, this particular church that if you and I were to drive into this town would say, let's go there for church this Sunday. Uh, this particular church has a tremendous reputation in its community. And you and I would, would be glad to be able to go to that church on a Sunday morning. You walk in. You notice that the foyer is amazing. What makes it amazing, you ask? Well, as you walk in, there is coffee available for you. It's in one of these really cool Keurig machines. Have you ever seen one of these? It's got the, it's got the little cups, those little K cups we call them. You stick it in the machine, you pull it down, you push a button, and coffee comes out. I mean, it is really nice. You walk in. The worship band that morning is amazing. Let's just be honest. They were rocking. I mean, it seems like the singers on the stage took an Uber from heaven to sing that morning. If you don't know what an Uber is, ask 
someone younger than you. The preacher, the preacher is cool. He's young, he's hip, you feel a sense like maybe God spoke. And you walk out going, I think my church needs to be more like that church. I, I want my church to be more like that church. This church has this amazing reputation. You, you, you talk about it with your significant other. You sit down to a meal and you, you tell your spouse how wonderful this church is, uh, how, how everything needs to be more like that church. It needs to be a little more rocking, a little more comfortable. You think, that's my kind of church. That night you, you lay your head down on your pillow and you're, you're just thinking about how good church was. Wow, that service was great. You lay down, you go to sleep. And that night, as you sleep, you begin to have dreams. And the Lord sends to you an angel in your dream. And the angel gives you a special pair of goggles, of glasses, so that you can look through. And he looks at you and he says, I'm going to take you back to the church that you attended. And I want you to look through these glasses. I want you to look through these goggles. And I want you to tell me what it is that you see. You're excited. You love the service. It was wonderful. So you begin and you put the goggles, the glasses on, and you begin to look through the lenses that the angel has given to you. And you come into the foyer that you thought was amazing. You're looking through the goggles and, and it doesn't look as cool. You're looking through the goggles and, and the foyer looks more like a ghost town than it does a, a, a space filled with a community. You walk, you walk into the service and those singers that seem like they were from heaven. They're, they're singing and they're singing and they're singing and yet uh, because you're looking through these special goggles, these lenses that the angel has given to you, you, you look and you, you're like, Where, where's the beautiful sounds? Where's the, the wonderful music? And all that seems to be coming out of their mouths is that that sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Remember that sound? Wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. You're like, no, no, no. This is all wrong. Sing, sing. The preacher gets up and he begins to preach and, and yet nothing seems... He's talking. His lips are moving, but nothing seems to be coming out of his mouth. It seems to be silent. 
The angel begins to take you to the homes of the people in the church. You're looking through the lens and it becomes apparent that that the church has fallen asleep. Uh, There's all sorts of activity. There's people moving in different directions, uh, but there's no transformation happening. There's no change. There's no movement. As you take off the goggles, as you take off these glasses that you looked through, the angel says, they had a reputation, but I've shown you their reality. You realize that they had an earthly reputation, but they did not have a heavenly one. And as you wake up in a cold sweat, you begin to think, Lord, what will make us an effective church? And and you begin to think of other areas in your life, uh, in community. Uh, Lord, what will make us an effective family? What will make us? Uh, what will make me an effective friend? What what will it take to 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 make an effective marriage? Because you see, you recognize right away that there has to be something bigger than a good reputation. There has to be a reality. What does it take for a church to be effective? Well, the city and the church at Sardis give us answers to the question. It's interesting, Sardis is a place, I've been there, it's a, it's a, it's a city built on, on the edge of a cliff, actually. And because of where it was built, uh, the, the government there at Sardis, the local officials, always felt like they were secure. Because if you build your city on the side of a cliff, then no one can get to you. Or so they thought. And so twice in its history, as the people slept, Sardis was taken over. They would have thieves come in and and literally take over the entire city while the city slept. They had become so complacent and so apathetic that they forgot to guard the doors to the city. And it wasn't just the city. It it seems like this idea, uh, this culture of apathy and complacency had leaked into the local church. And the church, Jesus says, fell asleep at the wheel. They had pushed cruise control on their ability to be a community that impacts others, where movement was happening for the purpose of transformation. They had become a complacent church with a good earthly reputation. 
So what does it take to be an effective church? What is it going to take for this church, Whiting Christian Church, not just to have a good earthly reputation, but to have a great heavenly reputation? This morning, I, I just want to present to you that there are some things that complacent churches do. There's some reasons that that churches become complacent. But there's also some resolution that if we see in ourselves or in our church any tendency uh, toward complacency or apathy, uh, that, that there is a resolution from heaven uh, that our reputation could match our reality. Join me in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Grab a Bible, grab a smartphone, turn to Revelation chapter 3. If you need a pew Bible, go ahead and grab one, page 862, 63. And read with me this, this church had a great reputation but not a great reality. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of Him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, you have a few in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. and They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sometimes you can tell a lot in a relationship, in a marriage, in a community, in a church, by what's not present. Sardis is one of those communities as we have gone throughout this series, this series we've called Letters of Heaven, uh, we've looked at various places and various churches, and each one of them uh, seems to be dealing with a piece of false teaching or persecution, uh, but we see none of that in Sardis. 
And it's because they've just simply fallen asleep. They, they have a reputation of being alive, but Jesus says, uh, you're like a plant in the Cahill living room. You're almost dead. Oftentimes when churches begin to make the past their hero, they become complacent. It seems that uh, this whole culture that was available in Sardis was really about uh, the fact that they had everything that they always needed uh, and they had been established in the past and so they needed not worry about the present. And so the past became the glorious hero. We need nothing because we're already good. I've had the challenge of working in two churches where among those who would make decisions, the past was their hero. I would hear phrases oftentimes like, well, do you know what I did? I was here when this church was planted. I was here when we put the rafters on this sanctuary, on this building, and it was phenomenal. It was wonderful. I would be shown pictures of a sanctuary filled with people, filled to the brim, and they would say, now you bring the people. This is what we need again. And it was far more looking backwards than looking forwards. Let's just bring back the good old days. Let's just bring back uh, what used to be. And if we can just tap in to what the past was, then, then, then we will be again. And yet, every time, every church that I have been a part of or seen or heard of that makes the past their hero becomes complacent, becomes apathetic, begins to just drive on cruise control, and they often fall asleep. Why? Because the attitude begins to, to sound something like this. Well, we've never done it that way before. We've never thought about it that way before. We've never structured things that way before. We've never had a mission that looks quite like that. And so we begin to say, no, the past rules over anything that God would do in the present. And the, and the result is a church that falls asleep. And Jesus says of that church, you may have a reputation of being alive but you're dead. Does that scare you at all? Now the good news is always gooder than the bad news is bad. The good news is always gooder than the bad news is bad. I know I said gooder. 
There's a remedy for this. There's a resolution for this. See, Jesus has a really good knack for bringing dead things to life again, doesn't He? He has this way of putting on the defibrillators to, to, to churches and to people uh, that need revival of marriages, that need revival of friendships, that need revival of communities, that need revival and reviving them. But for those churches, for those communities, for those marriages, for those friendships that have found themselves in complacency, this is not an easy thing. And so we listen hard to Jesus. Because He gives us some instruction that we ought to be listening to. He gives, he gives these five strong verbs. They're, they're actually imperatives. Imperatives just mean Jesus is commanding the church to do this. And if you find your marriage or your friendships or your personal relationship with Jesus or you find places in our church as a community uh, that need reviving, well, you better stand up and listen. Jesus says, wake up! Wake up! What does it take for a church to begin to wake up uh, to, uh, to sound the alarm. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, uh, for a church that's fallen asleep at the wheel and needs to be revived, they need an alarm. Now, some of you are really good. You don't need an alarm. That's how good you are. But I need an alarm. And maybe the Lord needs to put an alarm spiritually in your life so that your reputation and your reality match. He says, wake up. What does it take to wake up? It, it takes mission. As a church, this means uh, that, that we begin to gather around a mission and say, this is why we exist. You see, the church of Jesus Christ was never supposed to be a self-contained unit. It was never just about the people in this room. And when we open up the Scriptures, we recognize that the, the community of God's people, uh, whether that was with Israel or whether that is with the church of Jesus Christ, His bride, uh, we exist uh, really to be a witness, a testimony to those people that don't yet know who God is. You see, when Israel, the Old Testament, uh, when they forgot as a community of God that they were there to be a light to the nations, they got off track. And so it is for us where we can gather together and go, hey, how is it that we wake up? Uh, we make sure that we know what our mission is. We wake up. By recognizing that this community exists so that we can help people into a growing relationship with Christ. On whatever scale that might be, we rally around the mission that God has given to His community of people. 
And we say we will go forward in that mission, in all the ugliness, right? And we're going to get our hands dirty because we have a mission. We're going to wake up. We're going to set the alarm. And a reputation is going to meet a reality. Because we are a church that exists to help people wherever they might be, grow in relationship with Christ. And we have said now for several years, we're going to do that by inviting and sharing and serving. Yeah, we want you to invite people to this place at this time every Sunday, but what what we really want you to do is to invite them into a following relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus said when He came, uh, when He was leaving, when He was ascending on the mountain, and the disciples are there with Him, and they're watching Him go up, and and He gives them uh, what some people call the Great Commission. I want you to go and make disciples. He said, I want you to go and make disciples, not just go and invite them to church. And so that means that those of you who have walked through the, the valleys the depths of baptism, that you have an opportunity uh, in who you are to go to the people that you know and invite them into a following relationship with Jesus. And you have an opportunity to share with them. Uh, You have an opportunity to invite them in, but to share with them uh, who Jesus is. Can I tell you something? I think some of you are sitting right now, I can't do that. I think you're raising your red flag saying, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly begin to share. I couldn't possibly begin to invite because I haven't been to Bible college and I haven't been to seminary and and I, I, uh, you know, don't read my Bible as often as I should or or I haven't had a regular devotion time like maybe I should or, uh, and you, you have come up with a whole litany of things and let me tell you, God will use you. You're thinking, I'm inadequate, so I can't be used. No, that's exactly why you can be. Are you inadequate? Yes. Let's accept that. Gang, I'm inadequate. But thank goodness. Thank goodness. God is in the picture. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to have led a small group. You don't have to be a preacher. You you just have to be willing. And you can share. And you'll find a church that's woke up. You'll You'll find a community. You'll even find your marriage going, wow. And if you will give your hands to serve, serve those in our community, serve your neighbors, serve your friends, serve those around the world, there may be no limit to what God can do. He says, you you want a resolution? Uh, You want to be a church that's effective? He says, wake up, church. 
He says right after, he says, wake up. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. There was something there. Uh, there was some uh, glimmer of hope that Jesus sees in this church. And he says, hey, 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 here's the deal. I see it. I can notice it. Uh, now, now strengthen it. Make it stronger. And as I read this, I began to think about how Jesus phrases uh, his opening to this church. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And I began to research this and look at it. And when, they, when he talks about the seven spirits, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, seven, generally speaking, in this kind of literature just means uh, that of completeness. And so he's talking about the totality of the Spirit. He who holds the Spirit. And he talks about that which was received he says in verse 3, Remember therefore what you have received. I wonder if at times we get busy. We get busy doing the deeds. Which are good. We learned about that last week, didn't we? But if our deeds are absent from the presence of the Holy Spirit, then that's just exactly where they die. Let's lace our ritual with the Holy Spirit. You see, we can have ritual that either means something or that is meaningless. Every Tuesday, every Tuesday, I wear teal. We call it Teal Tuesday at my house. It's a ritual. Sometimes I'll even take pictures and post them on Facebook. It's Teal Tuesday, everybody. And I'm almost begging someone to ask me, why do you wear teal on Tuesday? Some of you might be at wondering, why in the world do you wear teal every Tuesday? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Okay, I'll tell you. Every, every Tuesday I wear teal because my sister-in-law Julie died of ovarian cancer and teal is the color for ovarian cancer. Now, it means something to me. Because every time I look in the mirror and I recognize that I'm wearing teal, it reminds me that she left a family behind. And so I take the opportunity, oftentimes on Tuesday, uh, to text her widower. I text Carson and I text her kids and I say, hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well. It's a ritual, but it's attached to something meaningful. Church, we have all sorts of ritual. We come to a service in which every Sunday morning we can count on a, a couple of trays being passed in which there are little pieces of bread and little cups. And you have an opportunity, and, and that's a ritual that we do, but it could be a ritual filled with meaning or it could be a ritual that has already died. And the only one that can make the difference is you attaching the meaning and the presence of the Holy Spirit in it.
you listen. And this could be a ritual that you come and you listen. But the, the question is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work through words that are in His Word? You see, we have all sorts of ritual. But is it attached to the power of the Spirit that works through the community of God's people? Strengthen what remains. Strengthen it. Make it stronger. He, he goes on, he says, Remember, therefore, what you have received, heard, obey it, and repent. Gang, you have received the Holy Spirit. If you have walked through the, uh, the waters of baptism, and if you have come to know who Jesus is, then you know the Holy Spirit. You've received it, you know it. You open up this Word, it's the revelation of God about Himself. And you have this glorious opportunity on a regular basis to go, I get it and I will obey. And when I need to, I will turn and I will face God and I will say, I am willing, I desire you. And I will repent. And every day, I will figure out how to obey, how to hear, how to repent. Church, there's resolution. If you find uh, pieces of your community, your marriage, your friendships that feels complacent and not alive anymore, Jesus is given resolution. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember and obey. Israel, this great uh, community of God's people, they were to remember always by going back to the Red Sea. Because it was the defining moment in which God had delivered them from slavery. Christians, maybe what we can do is remember our baptism. Maybe what we can do is remember what God calls us to when we come out of the baptistry, right? You realize, those of you who have walked through the, the, the waters of baptism, that you died there. And you were raised again with Christ. And now you're called to live that life. And you can look back at that defining moment when God changed you. And say, that's, that's who I need to be. And for those that do this, for this resolution that comes true, that God does in you, recognize what He says to those who say, I will do this. I will obey this resolution. I will repent if necessary. He says this, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. And you're not worthy on your own. You're worthy because God has made you worthy. You're worthy because you're with Him. In other places, in the book of Revelation, it says we have been washed white in the blood, right? It's this irony. How is it that I can be stained with the blood of Christ and yet be white? Because you are purified in Christ. Your sin now is 
wiped clean. He says, for those who will listen, those who will follow this resolution, you will be made worthy and you will be dressed in the, in the purity of Christ Himself. And then He says this, He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white and I will never blot out His name from the book of life. If you were in the city of Sardis, this Roman colony, there was likely a citizenship book for the city. And it's thought that perhaps there were Christians because they were willing to stand for Christ who would have their names erased from the citizenship book of Sardis. And Christ is saying to any who will respond, to any who will follow the resolution, Others may threaten you. They may think that they have the power to yank your citizenship. But as Paul will later say, your citizenship is in heaven. And he says for those, I will never blot your name from the book of life. What will it take to be the effective church? What will it take for the effective marriage, for the effective friendship? Jesus says, follow the resolution and allow your reputation to match your reality. Let's pray. Glorious God, I thank you for your word. It... it, it it speaks to us. It divides the very bones in our body. It divides our soul to the point where we are cut to the heart. And you speak to us in strong words. And I pray, Father, that we will respond. Father, if Whiting Christian Church is a church that you need to do something with, I pray that all of us, all of us in this room, all of us in this community, I pray that all of us would respond, that we would wake up, that we would set the alarm, that we would come out and live uh, for a mission that you have established for Whiting Christian Church. I pray that nothing would stop that. I pray that if there's marriages or friendships or other pieces of community where people are gathered, that, that, Father, they have drifted into complacency, that you will bring them back. And they will wake up, and they will strengthen what remains, and they will remember. Lord, I pray that we will find ourselves participating with you and what you have established. And I pray that we'll live like people have nothing to lose because our names are securely written in your book. Lord, this morning we acknowledge you. And we long to know you. Make us a church that is alive and well, whose reputation matches its reality in heaven. I love you, Lord. Lead us. 
Lead us to be the church that you desire. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand together. Let's sing praises to the God who says he loves us, who loves us enough to challenge us. If you have been challenged, then I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come to follow to say, I want that kind of life. I want the life that challenges me to have real, lasting meaning and value. And I pray, as uncomfortable as it is, that everybody in this room leaves here this morning with a rock in your shoe. And you leave maybe, maybe going, there's a rock in my shoe. What do I do with it? And that God prompts you and that you act. Let's sing.